is you taking fucking notes on a criminal conspiracy? And that's exactly what these guys were doing. They were writing down everything that they did. Welcome to another episode of America Explained, a podcast that brings the important voices and perspectives shaping American politics, foreign policy and culture to an international audience. Last week, Donald Trump's company, which he very imaginatively calls the Trump Organization, and one of his right-hand men were hit with criminal charges by New York State. These charges have like these kind of cool names like grand larceny, but what they really revolve around is a rather more pedestrian scheme, which was basically one of tax evasion. So they did stuff like give their top executives free apartments or cars and then didn't report these for tax purposes, like didn't report it as part of their compensation. But they've been doing this for 15 years and the the total amount of tax that they've illegally evaded allegedly runs into the millions of dollars. No one knows, and I'm gonna talk about this in a minute, if, if this is just kind of like the opening salvo in a big range of criminal charges that are eventually gonna be bought against the Trump organization and maybe even Trump himself. Particularly, there's been this really long running investigation into whether the Trump organization manipulated property values in order to obtain loans and tax benefits which it wasn't entitled to if that is is proven guilty that could be really really damaging for the company but we just don't know if it's going to be yet but alan weiselberg the chief financial officer of the trump organization is now looking at spending the rest of his life in prison he's an old guy you know the the penalty for this is pretty long so the question is do you really want to die in prison for donald trump and i think that what prosecutors are trying to do is to get him to cooperate with the inquiry perhaps help to bring these broader charges against the trump organization as a whole in order to reduce his own sentence So we don't know if that's going to happen or not, but I thought this was a good moment to look at just what this means for Trump, you know, for his future presidential run, and also what it means about the broader question of criminal accountability for Trump and his associates. Donald Trump has been really good at getting the people around him in trouble. So, you know, you look at figures like Paul Manafort like Michael Cohen, like Rudy Giuliani, who just last week lost his right to practice law in New York State because he was involved in this scheme to try and overturn the election. But despite the ample evidence that Donald Trump has committed a whole range of crimes, both in office and before he was in office, we still haven't seen any criminal accountability for Trump himself. And that's important because it's important that presidents be held accountable for abuses of power and criminal actions that they commit while that they're in office. So that's what I want to talk about today. This is is America Explained. I'm your host Andy Gawthorpe. Thanks for tuning in. So just to start by talking about this case itself, it's difficult to say really where the case is going and whether there will be future charges. There's really no consensus among legal analysts about this, and if if I learned one thing from the Mueller investigation, it's that often these legal analysis are really just kind of guessing. You know, it's obviously an educated guess, but they don't have some sort of crystal ball that lets us look into the future. But one thing I can say is that the legal analysts I listen to seem pretty underwhelmed by these charges. They consider this pretty run-of-the-mill white-collar crime, so they definitely view this as part of a larger investigation, and they think that the goal of prosecutors is to bring more charges later. But then the question becomes, will Weiselberg cooperate or not? And it's really not clear that he will. It's really not clear that he's going to give up the goods on Donald Trump, who's a man that he's been loyal to for 50 years and and been looked after by, by all accounts. That's actually what this case is about. You know, the Trump organization's been funneling a lot of money and benefits to Alan Weiselberg illegally off the books. But does he really want to spend the rest of his life in prison for Donald Trump? 
I think it's difficult for us to know that because I personally find it, you know, impossible to get inside the head of someone who would choose to give 50 years of loyalty to Donald Trump. But I would think that if he's done that, it's it's perhaps not definitely a done deal that he's going to turn against Trump now. What happens next has, we can kind of think of it as having two possible extremes. So one is that if it turns out that Weiselberg doesn't cooperate, then the prosecutors maybe can't bring anything else and, and this doesn't turn out to be a huge deal. Although even if these charges were proved true it would have consequences for the Trump organization. But the other extreme is that if much more serious charges result against this, including against Trump himself, it could harm the company so much that it ends up going out of business. It could make Donald, it very difficult for Donald Trump to be involved in future businesses. And indeed, the, this indictment that just dropped did mention one unindicted co-conspirator. So this tends to be like someone who the prosecutors say was involved in the criminal conspiracy that they're charging, but they're not charging that person right now. And that generally means that that person is still still a subject of ongoing investigations, so they're, they're going to charge them for this thing later when they charge them for all of the other stuff. So if it turns out that Trump gets charged with this as well, then okay, that's going to have more serious consequences, but we don't definitely know that's going to happen yet, and we don't know what he's going to be charged with exactly if he is. Uh, another conclusion that, that I draw from this though, kind of, and I'll talk much more about, about Trump in a minute, but it's just worth saying this first, is that it's really hard not to look at this and draw a very depressing conclusion about the prevalence of white-collar crime in America. They, these guys were so blatant and unafraid about what they were doing, they actually kept a spreadsheet which detailed all of these illegal payments and pretty much noted that it was illegal. It reminded me of this this great scene from the TV show The Wire, which is a drama about the drug war. You should watch it if you haven't watched it. And in this scene, the drug gang stood around discussing their drug business, and one of them's taking notes, and the leader of the drug gang, this guy called Stringer Bell, goes, Is you taking fucking notes on a criminal conspiracy? And that's exactly what these guys were doing. They were writing down everything that they did without any fear of being caught, seemingly. And, you know, I think we all recognize that the, the reason that the Trump organization has come under all of this legal scrutiny is because Trump became so high profile, there were so many media investigations into his business and kind of the things that might be dodgy there. And, you know, so th this investigation is to an extent politically motivated. It, it, I don't have any problem admitting that. It, it wouldn't be happening if it weren't for the fact Trump was such a prominent person, even though the crimes that have been uncovered are very real. But what that means is that this sort of thing is going on all of the time as so many companies you know, the, the the taxpayer is getting defrauded by an enormous amount every single year and it's not getting noticed. And, you know, for all of this talk of defunding or funding the police, the agencies that fight white-collar crime in America, like the IRS, are just not heavily funded or focused on, on dealing with this sort of crime. So, you know, someone can go to prison for a long time for a really low-level drug offence, but they can get away with these multi-million schemes to defraud the taxpayer just so long as their boss doesn't become too prominent and bring too much attention down on their head. I think that's a pretty depressing thing. It's just worth noting that before we talk about, you know, this this righteous justice that we hope will, of course, be delivered down onto Trump's head. And so what what are the political ramifications of, of this case for Trump and, and, and this whole kind of investigation for Trump? At the moment, I'm really not sure that they're huge. I mean, obviously, Trump is going to call this a witch hunt. He actually, the other day, he held a rally and he pretty much 
admitted that, that they had engaged in this scheme of tax evasion, but he just denied that it was a crime. So he obviously doesn't think that, you know, there's, there's the evidence there to deny it. He must be pretty sure that they're going to get found guilty of this. But his message is just, well, whatever, it's not a crime, you know, this is a witch hunt, they're after me again. And I'm sure his supporters are going to agree with that, you know, and it's not really going to make much of an impact into, into his support, I wouldn't have thought. If he runs for president again in 2024, and I continue to say that I expect him to do so as long as he's healthy, then it could mean that he's running under the shadow of a big criminal case involving his company or even himself. But I think he could actually draw a lot of energy from that, you know, the, the, this idea of being persecuted by the media and the elite and whatever else, the deep state, is something that really resonates with his supporters. He seems to really thrive in that situation, you know, to the extent that he he manufactures that when it doesn't exist by inventing all of these conspiracies that he claims exist. So I think he could actually draw a lot of energy from this and it could perversely help him in some way. Um, it's, it's kind of interesting because it cuts right to the heart of this paradox of Trumpism. So there's always been this paradox between his image as a man of the white working class and then the reality of his existence as a plutocrat, you know, a guy who actually owns a solid gold elevator. And this is really a way of, of bringing that into focus. He's been defrauding the United States, engaged in just the sort of elite abuses that he supposedly stands against. But this kind of paradox has actually been visible for a long time, I think, you know, even though this um, illustrates it much better than anything else, perhaps, and it's never really had that much of an impact on his base, right? There's this idea, I think, that his, his supporters just take for granted that politics and business are corrupt practices and that they see Trump as someone who just does what needs to be done to get by in those institutions and, and actually to be good at it, right? They, they see him as this enormously successful businessman. They see him as the guy who was elected president even when, you know, people said it couldn't be done. And they, they just take the shadier side as a sign that Donald's smart, right? That Donald knows what he's doing. He knows how to thrive in, in this world. So I don't really see that changing. This is going to be another one of those things that drives his liberal critics completely nuts. The hypocrisy of it drives people like me completely nuts. But his supporters just wave it away and just go, oh, it's a witch hunt, you know, whatever. This doesn't bother, bother us. So I think even hypothetically, if this gets so bad that Trump was to say end up bankrupt if he loses his business, then that also means that, you know, the only way that he really has left to get respect or wealth is to double down on that political career, run for president again, make himself the center of attention, make himself the center of, of you know, this multi-billion dollar organization that is a presidential campaign. So I really don't see any way that this is going to end his political career unless he's literally locked up. You're listening to America Explained, a podcast about the United States for an international audience. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, tell a friend, and leave a positive review on your podcast platform. It's also interesting to think about this in the context of all of the other criminality that Trump and the people around him have been accused of during his administration. There's an absolutely insane amount of evidence out there, particularly about the ways in which Trump obstructed justice during the Mueller investigation. In his final report, Mueller documented all of these times in which Trump seemingly illegally attempted to undermine the investigation into the links between his campaign and Russia. But Mueller wasn't able to charge Trump for any of this stuff because... 
Justice Department policy says that a sitting president cannot be indicted while he's in office. So, you know, the question is, well, can't he be indicted for that now? Then there's also other stuff out there. So there's this criminal case that involved hush money payments to Stormy Daniels. So basically, as you, you may remember this sordid affair, Donald Trump had an affair with the porn actress Stormy Daniels. Then in order to make her be quiet, he illegally used money to pay her to be quiet in a way that benefited his campaign, but didn't note it as a campaign contribution. Michael Cohen got indicted for that. Trump was mentioned as an unindicted co-conspirator in the same indictment, but that's still out there. He hasn't been charged with it. Then there was the, the Ukraine aid holdup, this issue that was at the center of the impeachment of Donald Trump in which he withheld money from Ukraine in order to try to extort political favors from the Ukrainian leader. In doing so, he violated the law because Congress had appropriated that money. Congress had said this money has to go to Ukraine and Trump didn't send it. So that's illegal as well. So there are at least three instances in which Trump broke the law. And then there's also, you know, this is before we even get into broader issues like January 6th and the, and the role that Trump played in trying to overturn the election result, although there is a separate probe underway into some of that in Georgia. But for most of this to be charged, it needs the federal government, it needs the Justice Department to do something about it. And the Biden administration and his attorney general, Merrick Garland, have basically decided that they don't want to prosecute Trump for these crimes. They think there's this huge risk that if they do that, it looks like they're politicizing the Justice Department by prosecuting their political enemies and protecting their friends. And that is, of course, by the way, exactly what Donald Trump did when he was president. And, you know, he tried to use his Justice Department as basically his, his own personal lawyer to go out there and accomplish political things for Donald Trump, not just to objectively enforce the law. So in Trump's case, that meant he was constantly getting his, or trying to get his attorneys general to go after his political enemies for crimes that they hadn't committed. But the Biden administration kind of turns this round in, in a weird way and says, well, okay, there is actually a ton of evidence that Trump and people around him committed all of these crimes, but if we actually go after them for these things, then it looks like we're politicizing the Justice Department and we'll be accused of doing exactly the same thing that, that Trump did. Now, it's kind of obvious how this creates a situation where basically people that have bad intentions can get control of the Justice Department and basically do whatever they want. And then the people with good intentions can't actually enforce the law because they're scared of, of looking back. The other reason why the Biden administration isn't going after Trump and, and his associates for these things is that they're just worried that it would distract hugely from Biden's agenda. They figure, and you know, I think that they're right about this, that ultimately what the American people care more about is obviously solutions to problems with the economy, with coronavirus, with climate, with America's foreign relations, and that they don't want to see the administration just basically seem to be this vendetta against Trump without any positive policy content. So they basically have just decided, well, we're going to steer completely clear of, of these issues of Trump's criminal accountability and focus on delivering for the American people. And that, I think, politically is a really smart thing to do, but it's also really troubling because it leaves Trump without accountability, and it generally is just part of this trend where it's very, very difficult to hold presidents accountable for the things that they do while they're in office. This isn't a completely new thing, but it's got a lot worse in the modern age because the remedy which the founders, the founding fathers intended for a rogue president, which was impeachment, just doesn't work with today's partisanship. You know, Trump failed to be impeached twice despite overwhelming evidence of having committed impeachable offenses. 
And that's just basically because, and this is for reasons we've discussed on previous episodes of the podcast, that modern partisanship and polarization is so strong that there's this huge incentive for Republicans to stick by a Republican president pretty much whatever he does. Now, what the way the American Constitution was supposed to work was that the three branches of government, so the executive, courts, and Congress, would be checks and balances on one another because they would all be occupied by people who cared first and foremost about the strength of those individual institutions. So there was no way that Congress was going to let some rogue president get away with doing some dodgy stuff because they didn't want to see the presidency become too powerful and Congress to become weak. What the founders didn't anticipate was that all of the branches of government might come to be controlled by the same political party. Founders really, really didn't like the idea of political parties at all. And they didn't foresee that you would get this situation where the same party controls all three branches of government and basically just uses them to protect the interests of the party without really caring about the institutions. But that's the situation that we very, very much have today. So, you know, Trump has been impeached twice. There's been overwhelming evidence that he committed impeachable offenses, but he just gets away with it, gets away with it scot-free. You know, as, as recently as the 1970s, Richard Nixon was forced to resign because he was going to get impeached by a Republican Congress. But I think if, if Richard Nixon had existed in the situation we have today, basically even just if there had been a Fox News in 1974, then I really, really question whether Nixon would have resigned. And in many ways, Trump's, you know, the offenses that Trump committed were worse than those that Nixon committed in 1974, but he got away with it. Now that impeachment isn't an option, it's doubly important that presidents get held accountable for the stuff that they do while they're in office. But but there's just never really been that much appetite for, for prosecuting presidents in this way. So um, actually, Ford and Nixon is a good example. So when Nixon left office, he was succeeded by his vice president, Gerald Ford, Ford also faced this question of, do I bring criminal charges against Nixon for what he did? But instead, Ford decided to pardon Nixon for all of his crimes, and he described Watergate as, quote, an American tragedy in which we have all played our part, which was a really ludicrous way of characterizing Watergate. You know, it's not as if Nixon went and convened a focus group of the voters or held a referendum and said, should I send this secret team to break into the offices of my political opponents? You know, it was Nixon's decision to do those things. It wasn't the decision of, of the American people at all. By kind of framing it as a national tragedy rather than something that Nixon had done himself, Ford kind of justified not criminally prosecuting Nixon. More recently, Barack Obama made a similar decision when he came into office in 2009. The Bush administration, as is now widely known, ran this illegal torture program contrary to both domestic and international law. There were many people in the executive branch who'd been part of that program, who committed crimes in the course of executing it, but Obama decided it would be too divisive to, to prosecute these people, it would be too divisive to go after them and, and hold them accountable for the crimes they committed. So he decided as well, okay, we're just going to we're just going to sweep this under the rug, we're not going to prosecute these people, we're going to move on, for kind of similar reasons to the one that Biden's giving today about the need to focus on his own agenda and the need to avoid the impression of politicizing the Justice Department. So, these are two recent examples from both parties of when presidents have made the decision that they're not going to hold their predecessors and the people in their predecessors' administration accountable for criminal things that they did. 
Biden's making the same decision today. But I think that this is a it's a real problem, you know, and it's it's it, it's important that there is accountability because the modern president has so much power at his disposal. And we really saw how that power could be abused during Trump's presidency. And you know, in in many ways, Trump was a very bumbling and incompetent president. He found it very difficult to stick to his plans and be consistent and see something through. And the damage that he could do was very limited because of this. But if you as president can welcome Russia's help to tip an election in your favor, you can obstruct the investigation into you doing that. You can then try to steal a separate election and incite an insurrection against the United States and face no consequences for any of those things. Well, you can just imagine what a competent, criminally-minded president could do in the future with that kind of impunity. But this just doesn't seem to be on the radar of the Biden administration. The reason for that, I think, is that, you know, beyond the, the thing I already mentioned about the fact they don't want to politicize the Justice Department, their theory of American politics is basically that the way to beat Trump and the Republicans is to focus on delivering concrete benefits to the American people. So end the pandemic and reboot the economy, those have been the two most important things, so that then they can beat the Republicans electorally. And by doing so, just not have to confront the way that committing or excusing this kind of criminality has become so central to the GOP under Trump. And I think this is a good theory. You know, the Democrats do really need to deliver benefits to people that are visible. I think the Democrats really harm themselves if they don't offer their own vision and they just become associated with calling Republicans names. But, you know, this strategy of keeping the Republicans out of power only works for as long as it works. And especially given how tilted the US electoral system is towards the Republicans, eventually Republicans and Trump himself or someone very much like him will be back in office and they're going to have learned the lesson that they can operate with complete impunity and i really really worry what they're going to do with that lesson so that's kind of where i am with this right now of course it's good to see trump and his company getting some kind of comeuppance but we're just getting absolutely no justice or no satisfaction for all of the crimes that trump committed while he was president and that are directly relevant to the future of the country I also have a kind of sinking feeling that this might be it or nearly it for these white collar crimes that, that Trump's business is getting hit with. If Weiselberg doesn't cooperate, then I'm worried that this is going to be the end of it and that they're going to get away with a lot of the other things that they seem to have done. And it's also, you know, I can't help but think that if this kind of white collar crime was prosecuted more often, like when it started 15 years ago, for instance, then Trump might never have gone from being a failing CEO to a television star and probably would never have become president. And the hammer falling on him now doesn't, I think, cripple him politically. It doesn't solve these long-running problems with presidential accountability. And it doesn't leave us feeling great about the way that white-collar crime is prosecuted or more likely not prosecuted in the United States. But let's see what happens. And I'm always writing about these kind of Trump legal issues and the question of accountability for The Guardian. I'm also writing always about everything pretty much on Twitter. You can follow me there at Andy Gort, that's at A-N-D-Y-G-A-W-T. And of course, I'm going to be returning to this topic in a later episode of this show as well. So thanks for listening, and I look forward to seeing you next time. That's all we have time for this episode. Thanks for listening to America Explained. 
You can contact us on producer at america-explained.com or through the America Explained Facebook page. I'm your host, Andy Gawthorpe. Designer and advisor is Giants Killian. Music by Soundwave. America Explained is an APD media production. See you next time.